I was just about to start talking and I heard that sound and felt that bubble come up like I was going to burp and I just panicked. So it didn't happen, but it might while I'm talking. I'm just warning all of you that it's like sitting at the base of my throat. It's a little one. It's not going to be like, Ehh. I can't say who it is, but there's someone in my life who's gotten older and a lot of times when I'm on the phone with him or her or it or they, because it could be a they, you never know these days. A lot of times when they're on the phone, it'll just be this like a huge burp. The person does not address it and literally just keeps talking. That's not okay. I mean, I know when you get older, things happen and there's bodily functions but you got to say, excuse me, or even just, like I tell comics, if the show's not going well, you need to say, wow, this is not going well. And then everyone laughs and you turn around the energy in the room. Same thing if you burp. Like if you burp very loud in the middle of a conversation, you need to say, whoa, wow, oh gosh, excuse me, or just something. But just, just go, uh so anyway, yeah, so I was in the park, and I mean, uh, and it's coming up again. I, I'm hearing that bubble, and I'm feeling it, and I'm really worried that while I'm talking, I'm just going to belch. I hate that word. I can't even believe I just said that word. The word belch is horrific. I'm like, I just sounded like my grandmother. I was belching after I ate the sauerkraut. I enjoy sauerkraut, but it makes me belch. It always makes me belch. I've never, ever had sauerkraut and not belched. It's amazing. I did a show recently, a quote-unquote Jewish show, and they asked me to do a lot of Jewish material, so I literally, out of, I don't know, maybe 95% of my material was Jewish. And then, of course, someone complained to the people that booked me and said, she did too much Jewish material. You can't fucking win. I mean, it's never enough. I, I really don't understand what's wrong with people. I don't complain a lot. I'm pretty understanding. And it's just, everyone is so miserable. Speaking of miserable, I have had a horrible cold. You can hear it in my voice. I sound literally sound like I'm dying. Maybe I sound worse to myself because my ears are clogged. My ears are so clogged right now that... Literally, a bomb could go off right next to me, and I'd be like, is that my alarm? I shouldn't bring up bombs, because I know that's not a great subject to be talking about, but whatever. You know what? I'm, I'm just, I don't give a fuck anymore about anything. I, am, I have been so sick. I got, my kids got me sick, because they're just, they're just walking trash cans. They really are. They have all kinds of things going on. There's snot everywhere. There's just, and I knew I was going to get sick. I knew it. And I ended up going away to do a gig. And I got to tell you, it's very depressing to be sick on the road. It is really depressing to be in a hotel room sick. And I'm not, as you guys know, and I'm working on it, I am not the best at self-care. So to have to go get soup and tea and all this other shit, it's like, it's a lot. You know, for some people, there are some people who really care about themselves. I'm just, I don't know if you guys know this, 
But there are some people who are like, yeah, I like go and get fresh ginger and like mash it up and put lemon and honey and like cayenne oil. And I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? What is cayenne oil? I don't even know what that is. And they make these mixtures and they get better. And I really, when I'm sick, I feel so shitty. And sometimes I just want to like feel shittier. I know that sounds crazy, but I just want to like hurt myself. I don't mean physically. Well, I mean, I mean physically, but you know what I mean? I don't want to like damage my skin or anything. I don't even know what I'm saying. I'm so out of it, but I have to do this podcast because you guys are so annoying and demanding that I have no choice. I have to do this because it's really worth it because I make no money from it. So it's really important that I keep doing it and I don't make a cent. It's really important for you guys to laugh and feel entertained while I'm suffering and coughing and dying over here because you're more important than I am. You are, you guys are, you're so important. You know, all 11 of you are so important and I just appreciate your support. A lot of people that are coming to my shows are listening to this podcast. I'm very excited. And it really makes me want to do it. It just makes me want to show up, even though I'm in a stretcher right now. But at least I'm here doing this. You know, even though I'm laying down and I'm hooked up to an IV, I, I really am really just working hard so that you guys are entertained. That's all that matters is that you're entertained. And I am taking care of myself. I've been drinking a lot of tea, which I hate. Some people love tea. Like there's stores that sell tea. Tea is fucking disgusting. I know some people love it, but I'm sorry. It is just not tasty. It's not... It's not extreme enough. I like coffee because it's disgust. It burns my throat. It's just, it tastes like shit. It tastes like mud. It's, it's, I don't know. It's edgy. Tea is so gay. And gay people are sinners and horrible and should all be sent away. I can't even believe I just said that. It's not true. I really am accepting of gay people if they're not feminine. I really am if they're not masculine. If they're if they're just if they look normal, I'm very accepting. So thank you guys so much for listening. Please follow me on my social media. Keep in touch with me. I love hearing from you guys and watch my special. You can go to comedycentral.com and all my dates are at jessicacurson.com. So definitely check that out and enjoy this interview with Roy Wood Jr. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Relatively Sane. I'm here today with my friend, Roy Wood Jr. Such a perfect name for a podcast, It really, by the way. What is? Relatively Sane. I thought you meant your name. I was no. like, that is the most <laughs> egotistical thing. Such a perfect thing my father I did. Love that you, <laughs> I love that you love the name because I really like it too. It's, it's optimistic yet acknowledging the pessimism of the situation, uh, yes. which is exactly what life should be to me. Right. It's not, everything's fine. It's like, it's, it's good. We're trying. I woke up today, See, giving it a go. I agree. I re- And I called it relatively saying because people talk about their families a lot. I just, I don't like sharing things with people that are too positive. Oh, I can't I stand positive people. 
there is a disconnect from the realism of the situation. And also I, I live in fear and <laughs> discomfort, but that's what drives me. Of course it does. I love so, you so much. For people to try and change that, and I'm 41 now, I'm not going to change my approach, especially when I feel like what I've done up until this point for 20 years, did all right. Yeah. I pay my bills. Yeah. That's, and you've lived and survived. This that is, yeah. is not the norm. Like, do you ever sit and think about as a stand-up comedian that where you are right now, no matter how insane it feels and how crazy it feels and how much more the mountain you have to climb, that at this point in your career, you're literally in like the 10 percentile. Yes. I have taken that in lately. I've said, wow. I mean, most people are not doing well. I would bet that of all working comedians coast to coast on any given comedy club, if we're just talking a three-show comedy club in St. Louis or Ohio or some shit, there's probably on a Friday night about 2,000 people telling jokes. Yeah. There's probably about 2,000 comedians. Isn't that incredible? Of that 2,000, off the top, yeah, two-thirds day jobs for sure. More than that, I think. If More. we're just going MCs and features, yeah, none of the, none of those salaries no. are sustainable unless they're homeless, right? Or twenty, right? Like when I started, I was nineteen. I had that's to cover, amazing. I had to cover. I never had the the number I had to hit every month was never higher than four hundred and fifty dollars, and that's even after I graduated college and was living with my mom. My car note, my phone bill, and just you know chasing chicks. I was probably at like four. That's a fortune. Yeah, that's all I needed was four fifty a month, and I and I made that a golden corral. So my road money was extra gravy. But I could, you're funny I without house. even. First of all, let's. I need to back up for a couple things. <laughs> How long did you work at Golden Corral? Uh, about two years, and then after that, I went back to Shoney's, which is like a southern. Is that a family. step up from Golden? Nah, it's a step down. I Shoney's thought so. Is like. Cracker Barrel's failed younger brother <laughs> that's family-oriented Southern. I remember Shoney's. Shoney's was good. You know what happened to Shoney's is that Applebee's, Ruby Tuesdays, and Chili's and Fridays, <laughs> they lowered their prices on their food and drink, and they started doing all the appetizers and the happy hour shit, Right, and it decimated, it decimated Shoney's because Shoney's doesn't have a liquor license. Oh. And it's run by these two... Devout Christian, the Schoenbombs. Oh, fuck them. Uh, well, they were Schoenbombs. The Schoenbombs. Well, then they're yeah. Jews. Okay, so now because my fuck real them. name is Kirsten. <laughs> now they're cool again. No, no. <laughs> if anyone listens to this, they know. If they're they don't accept me, oh, I'm no. a sinner. That's right, you're a lesbian. Yeah. How dare well, you, not fully. You filthy. Um, you filthy whore. Wait. First of all, my name was Kirstenbaum before my family had to escape Europe. They took off the Baum. Yeah. Yeah. So any Baum is a Jew. Off okay. The top. Yeah. Okay. I'm almost positive. Well, whatever they were, they were religious, and they sure believed in not serving alcohol, even when Applebee's was whooping their ass. What was Shoney's big meal? Like, what was their big breakfast bar? Bar. The breakfast bar. It was <gasps> one of the few places in the South that had a breakfast buffet. That I would go At for. At the time, like in the '90s, you remember late mid Shoney's glory days was. Mm-hmm. Late 80s, early 90s. I came in around 98, 99. 
and oh, people, you came way after the. But still, on Saturday day. mornings, it was an hour wait for a table really? to eat eggs off of a steam steam tray. And those eggs were amazing. They had omelet, man, all that shit that they have at the Hotel Continental Breakfast now. Really? This was ahead. They were ahead of the curve, but the dinner, you cannot. It's not I sustainable know. as a as a business model. It wasn't sustainable to only be known for breakfast. Yeah, you that's true. I feel like IHOP is suffering. Why do you think they started adding burgers and all that goofy shit? Like that's a sign of yeah. struggle. When Burger King is selling tacos, like any place <laughs> that starts remixing their menu, it's desperation. You're right. Oh fuck, we're failing. We need to offer more. A shit. lot of them are doing that now. Which and they should be doing the opposite. What they should be doing is focusing on one thing. This I know. is what we do. Like think about the fact that how long it took Popeyes to add a chicken sandwich. Why? Because we're Popeyes, bitch. We fry wings. You want a sandwich? Go somewhere else. We don't do that here. The same reason Chick Fil A doesn't sell fucking just loose Fuck chicken. Chick Fil A. I understand. I, do you know I've never had it, and I never will. You never had it, no. Nope. Before you knew the truth, I didn't. I knew the truth right away, and I just whenever I heard about it, I heard they don't like. like oh, close on Sundays. Oh, I no, already know what that. you're about. I'm not doing it. <laughs> I can eat a fucking sandwich, chicken sandwich anywhere. I tell my gay friend straight up. You know, I it it took a while to stop eating it. Like it's food is an addiction. Food is a I drug. Know. Chick-fil-A is controversial because it's good. I know. It wouldn't be controversial if it wasn't good. Well, now so they're clearly. saying they're okay with, with anal. But I heard that Between that's... two men, but they're not. <laughs> they just want to sell more. I heard that that was smoking mirrors when they, when they put that out. It I is, thought. and gay men are not going to eat Chick-fil-A. They don't even eat lettuce. <laughs> they don't eat. Why did you eat. say it like that? Why did you drag out the last syllable of lettuce? I did? Lettuce. <laughs> I gay men are not going to eat Chick-fil-A. They don't even eat lettuce. That's what it sounded like. No, I that when the Chick Fil A news first came down, I was like, "Oh shit!" Did you stop eating it to support us? Not right us? away. Thanks Not right a lot. Away. Thanks, I'm being Roy. real with you. I know you care Eventually, more about chicken than you do my life. Oh, no, it took. Time. I have children. It took time. If I told you quit, if I told you all coffee hated hated your union tomorrow, you could quit coffee. I would down it like it. I don't give a <laughs> shit. I will never give up coffee. <laughs> Everybody's got their thing, you know. I understand it. There's, there's, a, I eat enough bullshit food that I can find a chicken sandwich somewhere else. Right. And that's it. I mean, I heard it's really good. So you grew oh. up in Alabama, which I find interesting because, what well, did you grow up in? Like a very conservative area. No, I grew up in Birmingham, which is essentially, it's black. Like it's the population of Birmingham proper is 85% black. I grew up in one of the most violent neighborhoods in the city. Shout out to West End. And I grew up pretty much in the city. Not pretty much. I Well, with the exception of three weeks of Catholic school in the fourth grade because I was becoming unruly. I came up in the city school system. Mm-hmm. And that was very liberal. My father was a civil rights journalist. Wow. And, you know, he pretty much embedded himself with a lot of different causes, South African riots in the 50s, uh, the civil rights movement in the 60s, Vietnam, Mm -hmm. um, shortly thereafter. So, you know, my mom is also a freedom fighter to a great degree. So, you know, my mom was one of the first, she was in the first integrating class of Delta State University in Mississippi. My father's from Atlanta, came up in Chicago. Um, worked at the first black-owned, nationally syndicated radio station in the country, which was essentially 
WVON at the time was essentially black CNN. Like that was black Twitter before black Twitter, before BET, before any of that shit. That's so interesting. If you were a black person and you want to get news with a black perspective on how it affects you and your community, that's the station Mm -hmm. you listen to. Or black stations locally carried my father's radio program and they syndicated it to a number of markets or whatever. So coming up in the house, like every week it was, let me tell you what these white people doing, boy, you better keep your eyes open, boy, I'm telling you. Fight for the rights, get your education, because ain't nobody gonna give you nothing. You got to take it. And so, not conservative in the least. Um, you know, I went to church, and you start learning. You start. I started learning in middle school a little bit about church, but I think what really changed me on religion to a larger degree was once I went to college. Mm-hmm. So, in middle school, I was in the church choir. You know, I got sent to vacation Bible school every summer in Mississippi. You know, my uh, my grandmother, my mother's side of the family is from a town so small that they only had a pastor first and third Sundays, because wow. second and fourth Sundays he was in he was in um, Yazoo City preaching, and then on first and thirds he would come over to Clarksdale. But I would spend every summer in Clarksdale, vacation Bible school, wow. we would go to Bible study. Um, once a week, and then on Sunday mornings, you do Sunday school, you do church service, and then mm-hmm. my grandma was on the usher board, and my aunt was a treasurer and playing the piano. So you at Sunday was a 9 a.m. to 4 p.m., you know, ordeal. But, you know, as far as where we are t- today in society, I don't think that I really grew up in a house that was anti-gay. I don't think I grew up in a house that was anti helping other people it was just more about self-sustainability yeah how to help yourself yeah not even really caring about what was going on over there right like protecting yourself and your family and your yeah yeah your your own like i would like i would give you like knowing what i know now it was probably fear of being called gay or some sort of or having to feel homophobic comments when i was in sixth grade i played the flute i hated the fact i wanted to play the trumpet but all the trumpets have been claimed. So the only instrument left for me to play was the flute. And I hadn't signed up for PE. So I had to take band for PE. So I had to play a flute. And so I would walk home every day with this flute case <laughs> and get called flute boy. And, I'm sorry oh, for laughing, but yeah, but that's what it was. Yeah, I know. It's hard. It's so ridiculous because it's an instrument. I, yo, I started, I, I used to rake leaves and cut grass. Mm-hmm to make money and I had like like a little 10 block radius at the house I expanded my radius to 20 blocks to make extra money to buy a bigger backpack to hide the flute case oh. in the backpack and I would go home and I would tell my mom they said these things about me and they calling me flute boy <laughs> fuck them people boy <laughs> like, like on some straight I, up don't care about what people yes I know I was brought up like nothing. that too uh, but you know so I, I go to college and I took I took an intro to religion class and that was the first time that I was exposed to what other religions believed and thought mm-hmm. and a more worldly view of, oh, I'm like this because this is where I was born and these are the people I came up with. Right. I never really had a chance to choose or really make any real evaluations. Mm-hmm. And you're forced to evaluate religion after being overexposed to one thought process. Mm-hmm. And that's when I was like, huh, okay. I believe in not being an asshole, and I imagine there's something else, higher plane, form, spiritual, another alt universe, soul, listen. But 
the route to get there. I don't know if this one is the one or that's the one. How about just don't be an asshole? And when I graduated from college and I went back home and I started working at the rap station, that's when I really started to feel a lot of judgment from a lot of diehard Christians in Birmingham. And I do believe that Birmingham, I believe black people are a lot more conservative yeah. than people tend to give our race credit for. A lot of homophobia in I the know. black community. It's a lot. Because I have a lot, a lot of friends who've been through who, hell. You don't pray to what I pray to. Well, yep. There's a lot of that, but because of the struggle and slavery and fight for equal rights, a lot of that is kind of pushed mm-hmm. to the side. I mean, it was shit like that going down during the civil rights movement. Yeah. As far as gay people trying to march with black people and like black people in the civil rights movement, like yo, we can't be seen with y'all. Yeah, especially because they had chaps on and <laughs> feathers and hey everybody, let's get some lettuce ass. and march. <laughs> lettuce. <laughs> you can say it. I can't. No, I know. See, I'm allowed to say a lot of things that even I'm allowed to say a lot of things that men can't say, like nice tits. Like I can say that to someone in the audience. When does that change, though? When what does do that you mean? change? When does the the power dynamic of equality and if we want equality. I don't know. I don't know what's going on, to be honest with you. I don't know when anything's going to change. Because we go, or... something's not okay, and we go, okay, cool. But yeah. then at what point do we go, hey, maybe you should stop saying that. Too. I'm not going to be the one to breach that conversation. Yeah. Because, well, if we shouldn't say nigger, then everyone should stop saying nigger, which I don't agree with. So I would be I've never said it. Can you believe that? I've never said that not word. Not even during sex? No. Actually, with my uncle, I did once. I said, please stop, N-word. <laughs> did you have siblings grow? I love going from sex with my uncle saying the N-word to if you had love siblings. Do you have, did you have siblings? Uh, a bunch of halves. I'm the only child by my mother. I grew up alone. I have two youngers that I'm probably closest with. Uh-huh. And then a gang of older siblings. I have halves, too. By one account, I'm nine... Of 11 children. Wow. On another count, I'm 17 of 19. Holy shit. The nine of 11 is the one I I respect. Like, that's the one I can actually, like, in my head, I can count all of those people. Right. It could be more. I don't know. Like, when my dad died, the year leading up to his death, a bunch of just, like, random fucking 18-year-olds were (laughs) coming by the house. (laughs) Like, it was weird, yo. Were they? Did, were any of weird. them like different ethnicities, or were they all? No, nah, it was all black. My dad was keeping it real, black and the black, pro black. Yeah, black yeah. Man. I didn't know if maybe he. I don't know if someone yeah, took advantage father, of him. To give perspective, though, my father was older when I was born. My father was sixty three when I was when you born. were born. I was born, but he was one of them Billy D. Smooth motherfuckers. My mom. Yeah, was that's 30. like me. I'm seventy two, and I have fourteen kids. Some are babies. Yeah. yeah, I'm really. I'm gonna be at their high school games. Like, come on, you can do it. You know, I can't even. I can't move at this point. So I, it's one of those truths that I'll never be able to get to the bottom of. Mm-hmm. And the people who probably know the most, I talk to the least. Right. So to even go and seek out all of that and put it all together, like at some point I want to try and put together who my father was, if for no but if for no reason other than for my son, yeah, in case he wants to know. But that's a lot of work to unearth, and I don't know if I really want to do all of that because maybe hard someone to, else can research it for you. Seriously, just hire some. Yeah, to just go and talk. There was one person on my father's side 
who just sidebar only met people on my, outside of my half siblings only met people on my father's side twice ever like i just i mean he was older so by the time i got 10 or 11 most of those people are in their 70s themselves and what is a 10 year old gonna go talk to a 70 and even at worst my cousins are all 40 or 50 at mm-hmm. the time and now they're in their 70s or maybe even 80s i don't fucking know so i know they're all old and probably less time left than more time on the mm-hmm. earth so if i'm gonna go and talk to them and start putting puzzle pieces together i should but then i don't know sometimes i wonder if you bet you ever think you're just better off not knowing yes i do think i am better. when i was younger i wanted to know everything now i'm like please don't tell me and i don't even care i don't want to know i really don't i feel like I the more you know the harder it is yeah and it's just you're just involving new people and i just don't this sounds fucked up to say, but I just don't want to meet new people. I don't. No, wanna, I know. I know what I you mean. I don't know what that entails or what that brings about. And if anything, I just think we're creating some fake. Hey, we both came out the same ball sack. Let's keep in touch every quarter and see what we're up to. Right. We don't have that background, so let's not fake it. How many ball sacks does he... Isn't there two ball sacks? I don't remember. There's one sack, two balls within the said sack. Oh, there's one sack. One scrotum, two testes. <laughs> I thought there was... Two, <laughs> two sacks? <laughs> two sacks and two balls. I'm not saying that there aren't. There isn't one out there. There might be a dude out there with four balls. Maybe, maybe. that's just my uncle. Um, <laughs> Your black wait, uncle. Do you feel like you were a happy kid, speaking of ball sacks? Yeah. Um, you do? Yeah, I found my own happiness. I I was an only child, so I grew up in my head. Yeah. Talked to myself a lot. I used to make what would be considered now a radio show. Oh, like, I love that. I had that. a pirate that talked to a parrot, like a full scripted radio show that I had microphones. and That's I so recorded cute. the whole thing. I used to draw, I used to hand draw a comic book, a comic strip that I'd pass around the school, that would get passed around the school in the sixth grade. I'd draw a full like fucking Jim Davis Garfield ass shit three three cells draw the comic the whole nine laminate it pass it out to all my classmates so just lived in my head toys I played outside by myself I had two or three neighbors I wasn't allowed to go far around the neighborhood so basketball goal kind of brought the neighborhood to Mm -hmm. me yeah I, I, I look back on my childhood and I wouldn't say that I have any level of definitive trauma or abuse or anything like that right i would say that once i got older and became a parent it exposed the flaws in my parents relationship specifically between me and my father as well Mm -hmm. that i go ah damn that shit wasn't normal that's exactly what happened when you have kids you real i know everything comes up you're sitting in a fucking delivery room holding your child and you and you start making a list of all the shit you're gonna do for your kid, and then you start pulling from. All right, well, what did they do for me? I'm gonna do some of those things. Mm-hmm. Did he do that? No, he didn't do that. Did he do that? No, he wasn't there for that. Did he? This nigga didn't do half the shit. He was a fuck. <laughs> fuck. Okay. But anyway, I yeah. love you, son. Let me tell you all the shit I'm gonna do for do you. Do you feel so, like you do the? Because I feel like I over overcomp, which is a good thing. I mean, in a good way. I do a lot that I didn't get. Yeah. 
And I'm proud of that. I'm happy that I yeah, do that. But then it's like, is that who you are? Or are you doing it in spite? In I think spite it's who the you are. Spirit of your parents. I think our parents would have done what they could too. They just didn't have the tools. We know a lot more. Like my parents were so young, and they had no coaching. Like they had no idea what they were doing. Yeah, but then I also am the child of a 63 year old man who had already had kids, so mm-hmm. he knew what That's goes different. into that. And so. It's not to hold them accountable. It's not to go, you didn't do... It's going, mm-hmm. here's some things I wish would have happened for me. Yeah. So I'm going to make them happen for him. And that becomes the new arc. Yeah. And that's how you break that cycle. So for me, finding out the reasons... And I'll, you know, and I'll be honest, there are a lot of things from my childhood that I am upset about. And part of the problem in talking to people from my father's side of the family is because you had a different experience with him, your default is to defend him. Yes. And I'm not here to mediate my feelings with you. I'm here to tell you what my reality is, and either you respect it or you don't. Yeah. And most people are incapable, and they're I not being so combative. understand. They're that. not being combative. You're just not capable of it because you loved them. And also, they want to fix it and make it okay. And it's like I'm not asking you to fix it. I'm just asking you to hear me. I can show you pictures on my younger half siblings' Facebook page, like back in the day, you'd take one of those. 27 millimeter, 35 mil, 27 shot. Yeah. Kodak Insta, crank it. Yeah, 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 yeah. Those cameras, some of those cameras will put a date stamp at the bottom of the photo. Mm -hmm. And they have pictures with date stamps on the photo. And I can literally tell you whether or not the lights were on or not in our house Mm -hmm. on that day when my father was out with his other kids. So Very hard. That become, but and it's which is part of why I don't talk about it on stage because it's a very delicate picture to paint because there is a shit ton of amazingly redeemable for the culture and help black people to a point of being thankless and not enough people knowing that Roy Wood Senior was far more impactful on this world than Roy Wood Junior ever will be. But you have to balance those two if ever you talk about it. That's why, right? For the most part, I do not talk about myself on stage. I just don't. I might dribble a little bit about my son or relationships or shit, but the actual deep down shit, that's some one man show black box shit that I'm just not ready to even sit and write. Yeah, I don't either. I mean, you'd think I talk about a lot more. I say my mom's a therapist and I say a little bit about how it affected me, but there is so much I don't say. It's not funny also. I don't feel comfortable making it funny. Also, like people it, are so much more sensitive now that I know. people are more inclined to give you a hug than to give you a laugh. <laughs> they go, aww. Yeah, and I'm like, no, it's okay. I'm talking I, about it. That means it's fine, fucker. Go, like, you want to just awe. You ever think therapy should just have, like, an audience room where you can just observe? Like, you just pay money to watch people in therapy. Like that is like a, a fucking brilliant idea. And you can just, oh, and hmm, Yeah, you give out hmm, tissues and popcorn. Hmm. Yeah, they can binge eat while they're watching. <laughs> yeah, you just watch therapists do their thing. That is such a good idea. And you offer it for cheaper. You offer it for like half the cost. Like, we can get you therapy, but, you know, for 50 bucks private, but for $12 a session. I'm picturing all these people standing behind a glass. Yeah, like a focus group or some yeah. shit. Yeah, and then the person's laying down with a therapist. Yes. That's a great idea. And you just don't know. You don't know who the strangers are, but you just no. know someone's problems. That's such a good idea. That would be better than coming to my comedy show and wanting to hug me. Oh, I think, you know what? People would much rather listen to my therapy than watch my stand-up. 
I don't know. There's just this relationship with my father's side outside of my half siblings that just doesn't, it just doesn't exist. And that's just what it is for better or for worse. That's what it is. So I have a similar situation because my dad got remarried and had two kids and I mm -hmm. love them with all my heart, but they had a very different upbringing than my sister and I, I mean like opposite. Are you close with them at all? Yes, I am. They're a lot younger. I love them dearly and I'm very close with them. But my sister and I, you know, we drove like shitty cars and, you know, she, <laughs> hers was handed down to me. I drove a white Cutlass Supreme and like didn't even have a floor. Holy shit. It was a mess. Two door like, with the rag yeah, top. Yeah, two door. Yep. Yeah, with Total the two thing. vertical rectangular tail Rips everywhere. Just a mess. Yeah. You know, and they had like a BMW. You know what I mean? It was just very different the way they grew up. <laughs> I'm grateful I was brought up having to work very hard for what I had. I'm very grateful for that. You know, the part that's really frustrating is that there's no point in resenting your parents because you wake up one day and realize that you are your parents i'm yeah i am my father only instead of a radio station i do it on a comedy club stage i speak about what's right what i think is what's right and wrong i might present some weird solution but i'm just offering dialogue on what's happening in the world around us specifically when i can to black people yeah you're you're and, brilliant roy i'm not just saying that but you are so smart like I watch your stuff and I'm jealous how you your mind thinks and how you do stand <laughs> up and you work on the daily show how long have you worked on the daily show uh, for four years I came in with Trevor the day the day Trevor took over as a day did he bring you in or did you audition no, and I, I auditioned for Trevor not John oh okay I didn't meet Got John it. until months later do you enjoy working on the show yeah I like the show I like the show because it it's benefited my stand-up because mm. because there's so many more political shows now. You can't focus on the one joke or the one angle, the one take mm -hmm. on an issue. There's eight or nine different shows at any given time, all doing political satire on national news. So what's the point of view that we think Colbert and Sam and Seth that nobody else will have? Like... And that's yeah. where I start trying to write my material from now. So, okay, there's an A and B side to this conversation, but what's the C, D, and E sides of it that haven't been considered? Mm -hmm. So it's been fun. The cool thing is that Trevor has really allowed me a lot of freedom to do stories where there isn't necessarily humor on the surface, but you can find I the like humor. I like that, yeah. But then we did, my first two pieces when I was hired was a ride along with the Madison, Wisconsin Police Department who had just killed a black kid months earlier. And they were doing a whole wow. revamp of their bias training and all of this shit. Not a lot of funny there, but we found it. Mm -hmm. And like that's, to me, that's rewarding where you can yeah. find humor in those things. And then we did, um, the second piece was the 20 year anniversary of the Million Man March and everything that went on in regards to that moment in black history. Since then, I, I do a ton of stories, but when I want to do something that is inherently a black issue, there's never pushback in the building. It's just how do we make it funny and still respect the subject matter. The The one that, I, that I'm probably most proud of is going to the South Side of Chicago and doing a walkthrough of Southside neighborhood 
with a group of gang interrupters who basically sit and mediate angry fucking kids who want to kill people on the other side of on the other side of town and literally talking them down oh off God. of that ledge and it being an issue that is an issue that inherently affects black people but it is also being actively solved by black people which is the narrative that people try to push nationally mm-hmm. that black people don't take care of their own because it's always what about Chicago what about I know, Chicago what about I, Chicago you do hear well, that a lot. there are plenty of people doing stuff if you'd stop and point a camera at them and they let us do it and we found jokes yeah we found jokes and still presented people who are doing solutions to the problem was respectful of everyone that is affected by the issue and like that's the most rewarding form of journalism but it is also the most difficult but that's why I like writing jokes that are a little harder to piece together but then it's also a higher failure rate if you don't nail Mm -hmm. the verbiage and that's where I stumble sometimes do you while you're on the road like in comedy clubs do you get pushback from people in the audience? Like, do you ever get oh, conservative? Yeah. You do? Like, t- tell me oh, an example. Yeah. I-, I would love to know. It's sometimes it's the opposite. It's people who are, because there's already trigger words, right? Mm-hmm. Like, Trump is a trigger word in a room. The moment you say the word, you're either defensive, you're attack mode, or you're angry, mm-hmm. or whatever. And I will try to present a topic from an angle you haven't considered, but I can't do that without using the trigger word. So at that point, and this is just my psychological analysis of people, I could be wrong. At that point in the act, you are using every joke that I've done up until this point to attempt to decipher what my opinion is of Trump before I even get to the punchline. So if I'm a, there's a bit that I'm working on right now where I say the smartest thing Trump ever did was dodged the draft. That's the premise. So right there, it's a compliment. Mm-hmm. So people are already like, um, that's not okay. You not, yeah. You, so liberals will tighten up at that. I go, he dodged a draft. He was smart to dodge a draft. And then someone will go. Someone will clap. It'll be like two or three just errant clap. Trump smart. Trump dodged a draft. That was one of the smartest things. Trump isn't completely dumb. And the moment you say Trump isn't completely dumb. Two, three people clap. I'm like, oh, fuck. Now I got to. Now everyone hates those people. In the I room. know. It's so amazing. Right. But I'm attempting to use Trump as an entry point into the, the fact that Trump dodged the draft to go to a war where the veterans of that war are now some of the most poorly treated people in this country. Mm-hmm. He wasn't a coward. He was clairvoyant. And so it is an indictment of the VA system and how our troops are treated and how our veterans are not given the support and resources that they need. If It's like Trump is the guy who didn't get on the plane that crashed. Like anytime a plane crashes, mm-hmm. there's a person who goes, man, I was running late. Yeah. And people go, you're lucky. Good for you. Well, Trump just didn't show up to the airport to get on the fucking mm-hmm. shitty veteran job plane. So because I said Trump, you are now throwing out the rest of the bit on the troops and all of that shit and the only way to do that joke without any pushback is to be so hardcore liberal leading up to it that libs will stay with me through that bit but I'm not gonna sell out like I don't I don't want to do that I don't mm-hmm. want to do a bunch of fuck Trump fuck Trump fuck Trump all right let me tell you one good thing about him mm-hmm. no I would rather just come out of the blue and challenge you 
to pay attention like and shut the too. fuck up. Yeah. Like, am I with you or am I not? Mm-hmm. Don't know. Did you laugh? Good. Go home. That's what Bill Burr does. Yeah. In a lot of ways. I yeah. watch him. I'm like, you're going one way and then all of a sudden he takes you another way and you're like, yeah. holy shit. I, I did not expect that. I can't remember how, how the bit goes, so I'm not even going to try it. But there's a bit in his Netflix special, the most recent one, Paper Tiger, mm-hmm. about having a first lady and why having a first husband would be bad for the country. And it's, yeah. I can't remember how it goes, but it's an amazing, it's a bit that I starts off talking. and sounds anti-woman. Right. But it's really anti-vice president. It's yeah. anti this role, this job, this yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. So I enjoy starting at the edge and then yo-yoing back to a middle ground. And that happens more often than not when you talk about when you just say certain words, you know, I was anti-gun until I had a child and now I'm pro rocket launcher. And like, I want, <laughs> I want everything like there's, <laughs> but that's ultimately a bit about the lack of the lack of doomsday prepping in the black community. And yeah. How black people have guns, but they don't have shelters. They're yeah. Like how, just all going to be out on the streets. Yeah, just, yeah, it's like no, these doomsday preppers, and like, which is why, I, like, oh. Jewish people have like underground shelters and no guns. Oh my God, let me give you a great example of how a joke can turn a room, and how I had to reword it, and now I hate the joke. I try to come on stage cold turkey, and I say that you know, black, black, love black, black people, black, read nothing better than being black, blackity black, and you say it enough to get them all clapping and get them yeah, all. Yeah rah 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 and I go but white people are gonna win the race war <laughs> we're gonna lose it's gonna be a four game sweep we're gonna <laughs> lose the race war We all this pro black shit is cool but I just want y'all to know when the race war starts mm-hmm. we are going to fucking lose because white people have supplies they have fucking little doomsday little shelters and shit yeah. they got snacks I don't Cans, know any black yeah. person with canned goods beyond two weeks I know plenty of black people with guns, but they don't have a cachet of weapon. You need a cachet. Yeah. When the race war starts, you need, and the entire bit for me is just about the differences between about what's driving my need, my own need for gun ownership. But because I say race war, the room tenses up. Yeah, I know. And so sensitive white people are like, well, there's never going to be a race war. Yeah. People, we love people black people. No one we hates black, never black people. get into a shootout Everyone's fine. Yeah. So instead of race war, I had to say zombie apocalypse. When I say zombie apocalypse, the joke does everything I needed to do. Isn't that annoying? And I hate it. And I so know. I, I feel the, the same way. Because it's, oh, the zombie, you know, when the zombies come, we're going to need white friends. Yeah. But that's not the truth because I'm not getting a gun to protect myself from zombies. I want a gun in case someone's fucking with my kid like in my brain that's the truth so i want to honor that i know i but have i live with a woman that's thing. anti-gun so i can't i know i'll never have a gun so i have really cool knives and you know yeah you can have a sword you can have, yeah you can yeah have other so things. i'm thinking of the whole bit is about what are the alternative weapons i can purchase that my girlfriend would be okay with yeah you know i watch ninja turtles i go what about that one right, yeah maybe that you one? can get a white person just have a white <laughs> person in your house, house. Shoot him, Jesse. Can I say that? Of course. Oh, shit. That's funny. I, you know what I keep thinking? Because we have to wrap it up. But I, I keep thinking. <laughs> I keep thinking that you're, the way you're talking, 
just from listening to you is that you're still such an artist like you were when you were a kid. Like you said, you lived in your head and you had such an imagination and you used to bring this stuff to class. And like, that's how you are with jokes and with comedy and with your art. You're very like, I love that because so many people aren't. You know, they're great performers, but they're not artists that way when it comes to stand up. Well, thank you, ma'am. Yeah, they're great performers and you're, you love them, but it's different. I mean, I could just fuck the stool. That's always an option. I've too. done it, and the splinters are very <laughs> uncomfortable. <laughs> I have a chunk of wood inside of me right now. I think it's, there's comics that can fuck that stool and can use that mic as a dick to no end, and it just drop dead hilarious. I, the one comedian's skill set that I wish I possessed is Cat Williams' use of a stage. Yeah. The way. He it's can unbelievable. A fucking environment, and I'm not talking stool fucking and mic dicks. I'm talking like legit taking the mic stand and turning it into something different. Lil Rel Howery does some mm-hmm. does some good stuff with inanimates on stage as well. But Cat Williams, I don't know what the joke was, but the punchline was him swimming, and he lays down on the stool. I've I've seen that. It's priceless afterlife. Is the bit is the special where he did it. And he's laying out on a stool. It's all ab strength. It's just core strength. And he's I can swimming do that. on a stool. Like it is, it was like straight, like motherfucker had to go do core exercises. Yeah, I've done it. I know. I have to do that before every show. I wish I could do that. I just, I wear an oxygen mask when I'm doing it on stage, <laughs> but I, I'm really, really proud of my abs. Yes. I am so grateful that you came to do my podcast because I respect you so much as a comic and Thank as a friend. Thank you for the invitation. As a person. And I, you know, and I love what you're putting out there and the message you're putting out because it's really important. Well, I appreciate it. Man. It is. It's making a difference, not just getting laughs and being funny. You're making people think, which is the best, to me, the best stand-ups do that. Well, that's what I'll keep doing. Yeah. And so everyone will watch you on The Daily Show. And uh, you're the best. All right. Well, thank you, man. Thank you, honey. All right. Tell your uncle hello. I will. 